Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here we are, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm joined by Tom Dorian. Tom, you doing okay today? I'm great. Good to be back. Good to see you. Uh, it's always nice You're to have you sharp. next to me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mr. Compliment, I appreciate that. You got the uh, collar going. You got, I like it. I always want to look best when I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Well, especially when the head chef shows up. Yeah, we've got the head chef here, uh, Father Ben Bradshaw. He's a priest for the Diocese of Memphis. And so, Father Ben, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. It's good to be here. Praise Long God. time no see. We love to have Father Ben here because he always he's a straight shooter. Try that, to be. That's right. And, we, and that's a good thing from our priests when they when they speak it. Speak it, Father. Is that you a know? nice way to say he's going to hit us right between the eyes? He, well, <laughs> I hope so. In fact, I think we should take this opportunity now to tell those who are listening that our topic today is going to be one that involves sexuality. And so we might be using some frank expressions. Yes. We're not going to be talking about Frank, so if your name is Frank, don't worry. Right. We're not going to be exposing anything that Frank said or did. But we are going to have some uh, some frank conversation here about sexuality. So if you want to listen to it first before your children listen to this or your husband or wife, because <laughs> you don't want them to hear this stuff, then you might want to uh, turn the radio off. Anyway, today's topic is going to be we're, we thought we'd focus on sexual chastity. And, uh, Father, it's a wonderful thing that you would join us to talk about this uh, actually very timely, very important topic. Yeah, it's very important. The culture that we live in, every everybody, every day, um, is constantly inundated with, with things that attack sexual chastity and really our sexuality in general. Right. And we ask the question, what does it mean to be chaste? Well, you know what? What we probably should do before we say Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be chaste, let's first define – there's a lot of words that might be confusing to people out Mm -hmm. there. Uh, There's there's chastity. There's also celibacy. Mm -hmm. Then we also hear the word continence every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And so we want to know what do those mean? They're all C words that have to do with sexuality typically. And so what does it mean – to, to be those different things, what are the, uh, briefly. Right. Continence, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas talks a lot about this. Continence is just the ability to control our, our actions, specifically our sexual actions. Right. Okay. Is um, people think, I've got an itch, i got to scratch it. And continence says, no, we don't act out of instinct like the animals do. We have a sexual drive. And we have a, a, attractions to other people, not just sexual attractions. Right. We're attracted to leaders, great leaders, and good friends, too. And um, But we also have sexual attraction to other people, what John Paul II referred to as, quote, the raw material of love. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. This can morph into lust, though. So continence is one of these capacities that God gives us just to control our sexual actions. So if, if Father is counseling an engaged couple... And he says, you know, you really need to be practicing continence mm-hmm. here. What he's saying is you should be controlling your those sexual urges and you should be living um, separately, right? And so that you are uh, in control of, of those urges. Absolutely, especially with the issue of cohabitation because we tend to approach marriage and cohabitation like we are uh, – <laughs> We're test driving a car before we buy it. Right. And people think it's actually it's actually respectful and it's actually prudent 
to cohabitate before you get married. Right. And then this is where practice makes perfect is not applicable. Absolutely. Right. And, and statistics, if you take out our theology and our belief, statistics have clearly shown this This is causes huge problems for marriage. Um, and so this is the, this is uh, it's well documented, of course, by people outside the church. Well, so what about celibacy? Celibacy is a promise that is made by priests, for instance, and bishops, of course, to where we abstain from all sexual activity. Okay, we do this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, and right. this is ju- uh, very similar to virginity, perpetual virginity that is promised by religious sisters. Um, and th- we believe that their spouse is Jesus Christ. My spouse is a celibate man, is the church. Jesus right. Christ was male. His bride, as we hear in Ephesians 5, was the church. Right. Husbands loved one, one another as Christ loved the church, his bride. And so my bride is the church. And so in heaven, Jesus tells the Sadducees in the Gospels, they will be neither married nor given in marriage. Okay, There will be no sexual activity in heaven. We will all be celibate. So celibacy and virginity points to where we will be, and it points to heaven. It's like a like a sign that's pointing us there. And so we have um, we have celibacy, we have continence, and then of course we also have chastity. Right, and a lot of people think, well, well, then what is chastity now? If we're talking about these other things, what is chastity? Chastity is being chased is not when someone's running after you. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> Although you may need to be chased when you're chased, right? <laughs> right. But. Um, Chastity, everybody's called to chastity. Everybody is, okay? We can be chaste and only be having sexual relations with our spouse, okay? Chastity is a way of seeing the world. People think, people often think that a chaste person is not sexually active, okay? For me, in order to be chaste, I am not sexually active as a celibate priest. For a couple to be chaste, it means that they see their spouse as a gift, okay? We can we can only be having sexual relations with our spouse, and yet we're checking out other men and women, right? right? Or maybe we're using our spouse as an object. And John Paul II, in his Theology of the Body, he says that marriage is not, quote, a state of legalized lust. Okay, mm-hmm. so maybe we're just thinking, well... Right, I'm- and all the predictions we from Paul VI in Humanae Vitae about... Uh, just the way we would view women, et cetera, et cetera, has to do with uh, an unchaste view. Uh, and So employing contraception into a relationship will be a challenge to chastity. Absolutely. And usually the first people to realize that are women because they begin to realize that, that the man is looking at them as an object. And um, this is why, of course, the church has their beautiful teachings on natural family planning. It's very beautiful, and uh, Pope Benedict in his last book, Light of the World, he addresses this this whole issue here in a very frank, direct way. And he talks about the beauty of natural family planning. Um, and, and what we believe in, in our church, our church is very clear on this issue, is that sex is holy. Sex is beautiful. Sex is holy ground, something to be protected. This is part of the sexual giving of spouses. And John Paul II says that, that it, the couple speaks, quote, a language of the body when they, when they come together in con- conjugal union. And this is very beautiful. He says that every time the couple comes together in marriage, they renew their wedding vows with their bodies. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you see the connection between uh, the human body and worship, mm-hmm. right? That, that our human bodies are part of worshiping God. Absolutely. Which would 
you know, if you thought about that before you did anything that was bad, mm-hmm. you might not do that bad thing because you're not <laughs> worshiping God when you're when you're treating your body in a disrespectful way. Absolutely, and it's and one of the things the Catechism points out in, in 2332, it says, "quote Sexuality affects all aspects of the human person and the unity of his body and soul." Okay, it affects all aspects of the person. Okay, so if you imagine, for instance, um, an hourglass. And that little bitty part in the middle of the hourglass where all the sands go through, all the grains of sand, that little part is our sexuality. So let's say if there's a crack there, okay, those little grains of sand are going to go out. And everything that we come into contact with, everybody we talk to, our actions, our intentions, they're all affected by our sexuality. So if that is not pure, we're going to have problems. And so Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says... Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. You don't actually have to do it. Right. What's your intention? What's your intention? And and so he's saying, look, you still have a culpability there. What's your intent? And so sexuality affects all aspects of who we Which are. Which seems to fly in the face of some of that common wisdom that we that we hear about from from ages past that talk about that sort of separation of the uh, the the spiritual world and the physical world that the physical world is all sinful and bad and evil you know we've heard the expression the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and you hear that and you think well obviously everything with the flesh is evil and bad and really there's a theology in the body and we're going to do a show on theology of the body at some time in the future but the whole point is that the body the physical part of our body and that sort of spiritual part of our soul are united Mm-hmm. Right, we're they're they're mm-hmm. all together. They're not separated. It's like salt and pepper. That's right. Got to go together. <laughs> or butter and cookies. That's <laughs> right. Salt. That's right. Apples and cinnamon. Right. So, but the, but but that's an important concept because a lot of people say, well, you know, Father, I I want to do the right thing, but my body pulled me in the wrong direction. A lot of times that may be true because we sort of give in to temptation, that physical temptation. Uh, maybe we don't practice continence. Uh, but the point is. We worship with our bodies, that we praise God with our bodies. They're, our bodies are a beautiful and wonderful gift, and part of our bodies is that concept of sexuality mm-hmm. and what our bodies were physically intended to do. That's right, and this is certainly not something the Catholic Church made up, nor our popes. The, the St. Paul, Jesus himself, talks about this, the beauty, the body is a temple. Right. And it's very, very beautiful because this is, we cannot separate. There's a lot of people who misunderstand what chastity is. They, they, they understand chastity as repression. Right. You remember and, the, uh, the medieval chastity belt. Yeah. You, know, you hear is, about contractions like that. And the whole idea there was like, well, if I prevent my daughter from having relationships, it'll preserve her virginity and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so you, we, we think of now chastity as like some kind of repression, right, as, as stopping an evil. Mm-hmm. This is never good because it will. it's like a powder keg. It's going to pop. And other, other people, they'll swing to the exact opposite side and they go into total sexual liberty. And uh, and like with pornography, and this is this is not good either. Well, we should spend some time and talk about some of those obstacles to chastity. Mm-hmm. Right? We're called to chastity, and there there are definitely some things out there that we need to know about so we understand what those sins against chastity are. So we'll talk about that when we get back after our break. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Tom, what are they going to find on that website? Oh, they're going to find your beautiful mugshot. They're yeah. going to find uh, all the previous shows we've had, some wonderful links. 
It goes on and on, Deacon Jeff. Very good. Wonderful. So they should go there and uh, and visit and be with us for a little while. Absolutely. On, on our website. But also, I'd like to hear from you at home. Uh, send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Isabel Flores de Oliva was born to a large family in Lima, Peru, in 1586. Even as a child, her holiness was apparent. It is said that a servant of the household once saw her face transformed into the likeness of a rose, hence her nickname, Rosa. At her confirmation at age 11, she took the name Rose. St. Rose knew at a very young age that God was calling her. Even as a teenager, she devoted herself to prayer and gave up many of the comforts of life in order to unite herself more fully to the suffering of Christ. Having read a biography of St. Catherine of Siena, she began to take her life of self-denial more and more seriously, even to the objections of her parents and friends. She first fasted three times a week, then offered a daily fast. This led her to abstain from meat and perpetuity. When she began to be admired for her beauty and devotion, she cut off her hair. If ever she doubted her path of suffering and self-denial, she was encouraged by visions, revelations, visitations, and comforting voices. She received the Eucharist daily, deriving from the Blessed Sacrament the grace and consolation to carry on. At the age of 20, St. Rose took a vow of virginity and joined the Dominicans. With permission of her order, she moved into a small grotto built in her parents' garden and lived there in a spirit of prayer and penance. While St. Rose spent much time in prayer, she still found time for acts of charity. She sought out the sick, the poor, and the forgotten in her community and brought them to her home to care for them. St. Rose never lost sight of the power and effectiveness of self-denial when it was offered up to God. Her entire life was a testament to the total, self-giving love demonstrated by Jesus' willingness to suffer for our sins. She wrote, Our Lord and Savior lifted up His voice and said with incomparable majesty, Let all men know that grace comes after tribulation. Let them know that without the burden of afflictions, it is impossible to reach the height of grace. Let them know that the gifts of grace increase as the struggles increase. Let men take care not to be stray and be deceived. This is the only true stairway to paradise, and without the cross, they can find no road to climb to heaven. St. Rose of Lima died in 1617 and was the first person born in the Americas to be canonized as a Catholic saint. Her feast day is August 23rd. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth once again here with uh, Father Ben Bradshaw. Tom, you uh, eating those cookies still? He, They're good stuff, man. That's it's hard. It's hard to just eat four. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> he's our favorite guest for that reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, except for the bishop. The bishop's our favorite guest, but. Uh, um, <laughs> But, Bishop, always, if you did bring always. some cookies, <laughs> that, that would be nice, too. But anyway, so, Father Ben, we're talking about this call that we have to chastity. This is not an option. God wants us to be chaste, 
But then at the same time, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy because we tend to understand in our culture happiness in terms of sexual liberation and sexual gratification. I mean, try checking out in the grocery store and you're bombarded with all these magazines that cover a cosmopolitan magazine. Um, it, it, this is in the air we breathe, MTV. It, yeah, watching TV, is, you're right. You know, That's and amazing. it's not even just MTV anymore. You can watch any family yeah, channel, any program, yeah. and you're going to find out about uh, various uh, conditions of the uh, of the male person yep. uh, that you never knew existed, and we have remedies for them, and here's pills you take, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Magazine covers at the supermarket, mm-hmm. uh, very suggestive all the time. And you know what? It's in what mothers are allowing their daughters to wear, what fathers are allowing their sons to do at very young ages and you think wow how do we how did we get here and so we need to talk about some of those things that become now obstacles to chastity absolutely there's one of the things that that is just so important is that we are we talk to our kids from a young age okay very very few parents want to do this okay and I'm not saying we it's have... It's called the talk, <laughs> with quotes around it. And, and, and more than that, we develop a sense of openness, okay, with our kids. Because I can tell you, I spent a lot of time giving chastity talks to teenagers and people of different ages, and parents can tell their kids all day long, honey, you can come talk to me, but they're not going to do it. Right. If they don't have a sense of openness with their parents, they're not going to do it. Right. And so we have to be very open um, and, and be age-appropriate. But from a young age, we tell them, your sexuality is a great gift. This is holy ground. They say in Spanish, it's tierra santa, it's holy ground. This is something to be protected. Scripture is very clear on this issue. Right. And so, especially the book of Tobit. And so we, we, we're always keeping in mind this is something sacred. What are some of the obstacles? Specifically in our culture, pornography. The porn business is is roughly generates fifty seven billion with a B billion dollars a year, okay, internationally. Oh, that's an awful lot of sexual exploitation. That's a lot of money for something that apparently nobody ever participates in, <laughs> right? When you talk to people, that's the last thing people will mention. Even when you get together with like in men's groups, and this is an right. accountability is an awesome opportunity. And when you're talking with a bunch of men sitting around talking about the faith. People don't want to broach the subject. Mm-mm. But the reality is it's one of the most daunting uh, obstacles that we have out there. It's huge mm-hmm. in terms of, of money, which means it's huge in terms of impact, and it's tearing apart families. That's right. Bishop Robert Finn from Kansas City St. Joseph has a wonderful document addressing pornography, a pastoral document called Blessed are the Pure of Heart. One of the things that we know of the statistics is statistically roughly 47% of Christian men say that they struggle with porn, 47%. That's almost half, okay? Promise Keeper statistics, as far as uh, from what I've read, are about very similar. This is a huge issue. And if we fast forward 20 years in the future and we think about what kind of impact is this going to have right. on the character of the men in the future, huge impact. You know, I guess we shouldn't stop there and say that it's affecting just men. Primarily, men typically are the ones that, that spend all the time with pornography. But women need to be equally if not more concerned about pornography because it affects them. It affects the the image that a man has about a woman. Absolutely, and it's very it's sad. And the Cairo Population Conference in 1994 and the Beijing Conference on Women in 1995, they equated a woman's, quote, liberation with access to abortion on demand and contraceptives. Mm. 
which begs the question, well, what does that mean for a woman that's not sexually active? Is she somehow, quote, not liberated or right. not fully a woman? I mean, this, so this is, this is crazy. And a woman's dignity is holy and beautiful and sacred. This is, this is again, holy ground. Um, and that's, of course, destroyed by pornography. Absolutely. Just that image is torn down, mm-hmm. uh, and it's no longer the, – the body is no longer something to be respected and revered. As a, as a worship experience, now it's totally separating the unitive and the procreative. It's totally making a mockery of what our bodies were intended to be. Absolutely. And we believe in the Catholic Church that we can never use another person as a means to an end. A person is always an end. For instance, this is why we believe that embryonic stem cell research, one of the reasons why we believe this is immoral because we're, people say, well, think of the possibilities. We can do these experiments, the cure for Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Well, yeah, but we have to kill a person in the process. It right. works out great for us, not so much for the person. And so think we can never use a person as a means to an end. Sexuality is the same thing. We can never use a person as an object for our own sel- selfish gratification. Love, the catechism says, quoting St. Thomas Aquinas, is wills the good of the other. It always goes out from itself. Right. Or is, I was thinking it's not a warm and fuzzy feeling for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's actually that gift to others. Absolutely. Second Vatican Council on Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution, the church in the modern world makes this point. Man can only find himself except through, quote, a sincere gift of himself. And, um, and Saint, again, St. Saint Thomas Aquinas makes this point. Love goes out of itself. I always think of the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, let me not seek so much to be consoled as to console. Right. Let me not seek so much to be loved as to love. Is by forgetting self that one awakens to new life. Now, there's other obstacles to a life of chastity that are, I like to call them the baby steps, the things that people say, don't sweat the small things. No, sometimes the small things are some of the most damaging. And I'm talking about things like, uh, like we talked about before, the things that would seemingly not be outright terrible, sinful stuff, but that can lead us astray, whether it's, you know, how we dress, how we present ourselves to the world, whether we're dressing in a, in a seductive manner that's not necessarily bringing uh, the most respectful thoughts back towards ourselves. Uh, and maybe the, the, the magazines that we see, we've talked about the magazine covers, and they're always very suggestive, and, and those things have profound effects on us. Huge effects. And pe- parents often tell me, Father, what do you want me to do? You want me to raise my child in a bubble, lock him in my room, in the room, and never let him out? No. Obviously, we live we live in the world, um, and at the same time, parents have the duty. If you don't set the standard, who's going to do it? Right. Okay. You have to do it. But you talked also about that openness, that relationship. One of the things we do in my household, you know, I've got nine kids, so it's I can't always be in control of exactly what's coming into the house. Mm-hmm. I try to be when that program comes on television. That. We like, I, I wish that that particular channel didn't have that relationship between those two men or, or whatever. And my kids are watching this. We use those as teaching moments. Absolutely. We talk about it. We say, well, kids, I know you like this show, but, you know, there's a problem with this show, isn't there? What do you think that is? Well, there probably shouldn't be this. Well, why do you think that is? And mm-hmm. we have these conversations. And now suddenly what was a bad thing coming into the house that when left undiscussed can plant some really bad seeds – turns out to be a learning moment and a, and a transitional and a conversional moment for your kids to sort of see the reality versus the, the fiction that's being presented to them. Absolutely, and that's a very good point. Another example, of course, is when you're checking out, 
uh, in the grocery store and all these all these magazines. Right. All these magazines are eye level for our children. And so they're looking at these things and, and the cover of, of different magazines. And it's important, especially for young women. I mean, they've tied a lot of this to anorexia, bulimia, cutting, depression, self-esteem problems with young women that they think from a very young age that they have to be have a certain figure. Right. Otherwise, they don't have dignity. Many of the times I've talked to young women in this situation, and it's a huge tragedy. Okay, this is this is something that is marketed to us. Again, it's in the air we breathe. But we use this as a teaching moment and say, honey, I want you to look at this. You do not have to look like this to have dignity. Or isn't that sad that that person feels that that's mm-hmm. the only way they can communicate with their spouse? That they, right. they can't talk about things. They have to do things only. And, that and again, that tears that relationship apart because we all know, uh, maybe you won't, uh, uh, Father, you may be incorruptible, I don't know, but we're all going to grow old, and we grow less attractive in certain ways. Hair starts growing out of various uh, places on your face that you didn't intend for them to be, etc. And, you know, if you don't have that relationship, you don't have that proper chase relationship at the beginning, when you get to the end of your life, you have nothing to hang your relationship on that's anymore. Right. You have there's no common ground, and that's why you see so many tragic divorces and 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 split ups and breakups and just destruction in a family. One of the great things about being a priest, and I think Protestant ministers would certainly agree with this, we are with so many couples that have been married for many many years, and their love doesn't the quote chemistry doesn't diminish it actually increases it grows with love it's what uh, Pope Benedict refers to in his first encyclical Deus Caritas Est God is love he calls it the transformation of eros to agape that there's the the, the first initial uh, attraction to another person but as time goes on it becomes more self-giving very very beautiful to see these couples that have been married 30 40 50 years and they have this great passionate love um, for each other, this self-giving love, anticipating each other's needs, and total equality and total self-giving love, and the the love increases. The problem, of course, in our culture, we tend to equate happiness again solely with sexual gratification. Wonderfully put. And so there, there's there's the answer. Mm-hmm. When people say, "Well, what do I do about all this stuff that comes in?" Really, it's Take what's what's coming in from the world. Take all that bad stuff and use it as a teaching moment, an opportunity. But if you live your life from the beginning, as close to the beginning as you can get, in that chaste way, if you were chaste and you you, you answer that call to chastity, when you you know you're making a, a deposit in the bank, mm-hmm. that later when you retire, right, you can start <laughs> making withdrawals out of that because that's really you've built up this beautiful, wonderful, loving relationship. So beautifully put, Father. Absolutely. And this affects everybody. It's not just about me and my household. Other people watch those couples for an example. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for uh, helping us uh, understand a little bit more about what God intends for us in in, in our sexual chastity. Uh, And I hope those uh, listening uh, have a new uh, and healthy perspective about sexuality and how to deal with this world we live in. Father, would you do us uh, the the kind pleasure of closing us in prayer? Just Sure. Sure. God, our Father, we just thank you so much for the great gift of our sexuality. We ask you to come and be with us. We ask you, Lord, to help help us to see everybody as you see them, that they are each made in your own image and likeness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. Thank you.